Welcome to I Heard It on the Coffee Vine, the podcast from Europe's favorite coffee subscription service and globally trusted coffee blog. I'm your host and Coffee Vine founder, Alex Kitain, and in this podcast, I interview coffee roasters, baristas, growers, scientists, innovators, and other interesting people who love specialty coffee. Today, my guest is none other than Dan O'Regan, former UK Barista Championship finalist, former wholesale manager for the likes of Origin Coffee Roasters and Colonna, Coffee and Good Spirits coach to two times world champion Dan Fellows, and now one of Bristol's rising hospitality stars with his own restaurant, Bank. Welcome, Dan. Hello. <laughs> hey, you know, actually, I was looking out of the window earlier, and uh, we have torrential rain in Amsterdam, and it re reminded me of the time when we first started hanging out, which was in Barcelona. I don't know if you remember this, but we were wading through yeah. uh, rivers of rain to get from oh, yeah. the coffee festival location to Three Marks. Yeah, I remember. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. <laughs> that was amazing. And that was actually the first time I ever went to Three Marks. And I was there last week hanging out with the boys and oh, cool. um, in their new uh, semi-secret location, which is inside this really amazing space run by a 3D agency. And just brought back some memories and I thought, hey, this is great. Yeah, nice. It was a cool spot. I really liked it. Was a... So Dan, let's get into it a little bit. I would love to maybe go back. I always ask this question to my guests, but I, I always find it really interesting to know how did you get into specialty coffee? It's like the standard question that people ask, but I'd love to hear your story. story. Yeah, um, I've told this story lots of times, actually. Um, <laughs> so I was... Most, so most people seem to go in specialty coffee by getting a job as a barista and then slowly progressing from, you know, rich, super busy cafes and specialty as they get a little bit more invested. I was at, just at university in Bath, so where I live now, and a friend of mine, I was sort of into my coffee, but very much or went to Starbucks, got a large mocha, two sugars. Um, <laughs> I would have said I, I liked coffee, but I wasn't a geek about it. And uh, a friend of mine basically recommended a coffee shop, which I imagine lots of your listeners will be familiar with, Colonna and Smalls in Bath. Um, so I literally popped in. I still remember really clearly. And uh, the guy who served me is called Peter, who I later went on to work with at Colonna. And um, he talked me through it, super friendly, told me one of the coffees would say it's like blueberries. I was like, Sure, it will. <laughs> I was like, okay. Um, but I had a taste, and yeah, I was like, oh my God, this is absolutely bonkers. Um, did you taste blueberries, though, or was it all. No, I did, like, yeah. Hard to grasp. No, so I got. So we had. So it was um, my now wife at the time, girlfriend, um, she got a coffee which had a flavor note of blueberries, and I got one which was like chocolate and caramel. And on mine, I was like, eh, that's. Uh, yeah, sort of. And then I tasted her coffee and I was like, well, that is like undoubtedly like blueberry. It must have been a natural in hindsight. But um, yeah, so went home and I get a bit obsessed about stuff when I find it interesting. Had a little coffee machine on all of the forums that you could imagine. Didn't want to pay however much at the time, you know, three quid a coffee because I was a student and I was broke. So I was like, I'm just going to learn how to do this myself, way cheaper. <laughs> um, start, yeah, so started doing that, started making coffee at home. And then after university, moved to Spain and I had like a decent little coffee setup. And I was Where in the did middle you live of, in Spain? 
I lived in Andalusia in a tiny little town in between Seville and Cordoba. Doing what? Teaching English. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I, I imagine did... that it was very hard to get specialty coffee there. Impossible. Yeah. So I used to get <laughs> I used to get coffee sent over sent like from uh Barcelona from right side coffee. And I worked in the evening so I had all day to just geek out. Um decided that I didn't want to go into teaching because I just wanted to keep learning about coffee. Got us a job as a barista and then just like went fully down the rabbit hole. Didn't stop. So what what did you find? What what did you find at the bottom <laughs> of the rabbit hole? I don't think I don't think <laughs> Which I've door did you go through? <laughs> I don't think I've gotten to the bottom. Yeah, it's um yeah, it's pretty in depth, but yeah, I managed to turn it into a career, which is quite cool. That's amazing. I mean, I've I've known you, you know, for a couple of years. I actually looked it up earlier when it was. It was in 2018 that we met. And yeah. since then, you know, you've done a lot. I mean, you were working at Origin at the time. Then you went on to work for Colonna. You also had your own business. Um, and most recently, you started Bank. But in that time, you also competed mm. uh, in the Barista Championships. How did you decide that you wanted to do that? Um, well, actually, again, goes back to the first few times I went to Colonna and Smalls. And Maxwell, who owns it, was, I think at the time, he was the UK Barista Champion and was doing quite well in the Worlds. Even before I worked in coffee, I remember watching his routines because he had given me like some home brewing advice and stuff. And uh, yeah, I watched some of his routines and I just thought, I'm going to I'm going to have a go at that because, you know, why not? Why not? (laughs) Um, I saw then that Origin had like a really, really good culture for competition. And so I made the very conscious decision. I was like, I'm going to join that team because they're good at competitions. And I want that around me. And so everything was reverse engineered to an extent to get me closer to competing. Um, I find that interesting because you were basically, uh, you basically started your coffee experience at Colonna and you knew Maxwell and he was doing so well. Did you not want to, um, I don't know, maybe have him as your coach or something at the time? Or was it just something that... You know, you just thought that the culture at Origin was maybe more in line with your own growth path. Well, I didn't work at Cloner. I was just um, I was just a, a guest. I just went in as okay. a customer uh, when I was a student. And then I, when I came back from Spain, I lived in London. So started off my first few jobs in London as a barista. Competed once, completely solo, completely independent, no coach, nothing. And it was absolute disaster. <laughs> I, I don't think I came quite dead last of my heat, but it definitely wasn't far off. So what did you, uh, what did you, what did you learn? Like, I mean, you know, because obviously you've, you've competed various times and I've, I've spoken to people who've competed a bunch of times and, you know, every time they walk away with some new learning. I mean, if, you're, if you look back at your time as a competitor, you know, what is, some of, what is something that, you you took away as you know something that you would say okay that's if you want to compete successfully this is something you've got to have a team for sure um so i've done it i've done it completely solo i've done it with a really really strong team and then i've done it with a bit of backing but not as much as previous years and i think definitely when you see someone competing it looks like a complete solo activity there's one person on stage presenting and doing the thing and they write their routine and they choose their coffee, but there's a lot 
of people behind like the very best competitors who are mm. pretty instrumental i'd say in their success yeah they're kind of uh they sort of hang out in the background you don't really see them too much but of course yeah. you know the, the spotlight is on you yeah um would you ever compete again or is this kind of behind you now uh i would uh it's mostly just a time thing now not yeah. working for a coffee roastery i think has a really big it makes a big difference. Um, if you can work closely with a coffee roaster, it's much easier to manage the process. But then, like you, know, you know, like running a business is a lot more time consuming. Yeah, I can. Then imagine. working nine to five. So, but you did the barista championships in the UK, but you were also coaching Dan, who was actually one of the uh, former UK barista champions, and then went on to uh, also win the world. Uh, uh, coffee and good spirits how different are those competitions and what are some of the characteristics that you know you brought into uh, your coaching for for dan that you acquired in other competitions before um well i think it's important that i mean dan was already like a very very um, accomplished competitor much more accomplished than i'd ever been he'd already won world uh, uk coffee and good spirits once the uk barista championships once before i even did anything competition related And so it was interesting because I got to, he had coached me as well in the UK Bruce Championships. Um, it was really interesting. Fundamentally, like the approach to competition is very, very similar. You, know, you understand the structure, so make sure you're reading everything you can about it. Read the rules, look at the score sheet, do the thing. And the points. <laughs> maybe you did the thing. <laughs> yeah, maybe you win, maybe you don't. Um, but basic, but really, the big difference I think is the fact that it's so much broader, um, and you can't rely on having like a singular knowledge of coffee. You have to have a good knowledge of cocktails as well, spirits. I think you have to have a better understanding of balance. Um, in the barista championships, the round that almost everybody stumbles on isn't espresso or milk it's the signature drink which are non-alcoholic cocktails sort of and uh everyone always falls down because they either taste absolutely terrible um, mm. i've made some absolutely awful ones in the past they either taste absolutely terrible or you don't manage to hit the score sheet very well so i think that translates really well to the cocktail side of things But yes. were, you were you passionate about um, cocktails already? I mean, how did you discover that you were good at coaching on that particular subject? Because did you bring, did you have a personal passion for cocktails or is that something that you felt Not, strongly about? I enjoyed cocktails, but I didn't, wouldn't say I was particularly knowledgeable about them. Um, I'd say what I, I had developed uh, was a reasonably good palate and an understanding of the score sheet. So I could taste drinks and say, make small suggestions on how to improve them. And I could watch Dan's routines and hammer home tiny structural points of his routine or his speech. Just things that having another set of eyes on you can really do. Um, if it was the other way around, he would have done exactly the same. Right. But, I, yeah. I mean, if you, if you look at most of the cocktails, you know, on a, on a menu in a, I mean, There are, of course, exceptions. There are cocktail bars that take coffee cocktails to another level. Mm. But obviously, the most common things that you find are something like an espresso martini or, you know, something to do with cold brew or something like that. I mean, what do you think 
personality is maybe you know holding um uh mixologists back from maybe going a bit more down the deep end with coffee i think um on a practical or commercial level you can uh, it's only, only really makes sense to have one coffee machine and one coffee in a cocktail bar you're not going to have guest espressos different coffee beans it's just not commercially like a thing that would make a ton of money mm. because the i mean specialty coffee is a tiny tiny part of the industry most people in cocktail bars are there to drink cocktails not to try some weird and wonderful experimental coffee <laughs> um, but also bar a lot of bartenders just don't know much about coffee like for them especially like those late night workers coffee is very much a means to an end of getting through a shift um and so i think you know it, it takes a lot of training to make coffee well it's makes a lot less money the investment is never going to be there versus say whiskey training or spirits training or wine training so i think you end up with a coffee that can sort of fulfill a function within the bar and more often than not bartenders will look at coffee not as a varied ingredient that can have fruity flavors floral flavors sweetness bitterness they just think of it as coffee flavor I find so they really weird because yeah i mean if you think about it all of these ingredients that they use you know often you know they are very bespoke ingredients i would say you know mm -hmm. things that you would not find in your normal supermarket and then coffee you know it can add such a complexity to drinks you know yep. i mean on its own of course but also to a cocktail and that this is not considered something you know more commonly accepted i find that i find that almost strange yeah i agree i mean it would be like there being one whiskey on the back bar right right it, it's it's just something i think it's an exposure thing like most bartenders probably have never really looked at the variety you can get with coffee and i think that's why when when you get the very very best bartenders or bars that are doing an amazing job with their coffee cocktails they treat coffee like a standalone ingredient that can have variety i suppose it's the same with any bar really like the yeah. the cheap student bars probably have like one vodka which is really cheap one whiskey that's really cheap um, and as you get more premium they have a wider range and it's more expensive and it's better quality and it's more varied and i think coffee is just like one step behind all of those other ingredients i think it's a little bit like you know you, you have these amazing cocktail bars and then you order an, uh, an espresso martini and it's then made with something like nespresso you know for example because yeah. it's quick and easy and it's just to get that coffee flavor in that drink, but it's not necessarily thinking about which coffee per se is going into that drink. And I think that is actually uh, also something that happens uh, in restaurants a lot, you know? Mm. I mean, I've had this over the years, you know, I've, I've interviewed restaurant owners and I've, I've spoken to coffee roasters who supply restaurants and, you know, they always tell me it's such a struggle to convince restaurant owners to actually serve specialty because for many of them, it's just a means to an end at the end of a menu you know, you serve a, a coffee to a guest. They're not necessarily, you know, in the mood maybe, although I think that's maybe also a misunderstanding, um, to discover something really special at the end of a 10-course tasting menu. You know, then they finish with something kind of cheap and, and easy that any waiter can serve or prepare. 
And I think that's also a missed opportunity, right? I mean, you own a restaurant. Mm. Let's talk about that. You serve specialty coffee. Yeah. What? Yeah. What's your position on this? Like, how? Why do you think that restaurant owners are still <laughs> not doing that on a larger scale? Uh, I think the reasons why they don't are probably they don't care, <laughs> basically. Um, but also, like you know, the profitability from like a commercial standpoint, you know, it's maybe three pounds, four euros, whatever. It's not a lot of money compared to the food and the alcohol. It takes a lot of time to train your staff how to serve it. You know, a bottle of wine, you can open it and serve it. Obviously helps if you have like a wider knowledge and understanding about the wine. But coffee needs physical input to make it well. And so you need training. There's room for human error. It doesn't make very much money. There's a lot of waste. Um, you need massive expensive pieces of equipment to make it. So I do understand why they don't. But at the same time, I think there are loads of solutions. Like pods are a really great example. You can serve a consistently good coffee if you work with the right people. And yeah, like you invest, you know, enormous amounts of effort and like care and passion that goes into creating a really beautiful meal with great drinks, great wine. And the very last thing that someone tastes is a terrible cup of coffee. It's just such it's, a missed opportunity. It is such a shame because you, you know, you, you kind of, I mean, you let people go home with a bitter taste in their mouth. Yeah. It's such, it's such a, I, I think it's such a disgrace that so many restaurants just don't care about that last little step the thing yeah. that people walk away with, you know? Yeah. And and truth be told, there are lots of people out there who don't know the difference. And for them, the coffee, you know, the the more, the more bitter it is, the, the better it tastes. Mm. And they're happy. But for anyone who runs a restaurant with very high quality ingredients, you know, I think it is something that, yeah, is just missing in many ways. But anyway, let's talk about your business because I find it super interesting to, uh, you recently told me that you're also changing the way that you run the business a little bit. Mm. Um, I had the opportunity to visit you in April last year uh, and uh, to get a taste of your delicious dishes and your uh, coffee, of course. I was very happy to see that you also serve uh, a decent selection of non-alcoholic drinks yeah. because I actually I've been uh, living my sober life for over two years. And one of the things that I find often very frustrating is that many places uh, just have nothing for people who don't drink. So except for cola and water and maybe some tea or whatever but you actually mm. created a very holistic concept that basically has something for everybody tell me a little bit about bank and how did you end up running this business how did you get how did you get there yeah i mean so the bank that opened is very different to the bank we have now um but essentially coming out of the back of covid i was doing coffee consultancy and really wanted to focus on creating my own venue and I felt like I've got a really broad set of interests I love great food great cocktails wine beer coffee I usually just say like I like anything that's revolves around flavor and so I wanted to basically take a venue and put all of my favorite things in and do it well because there's so few places that really hit every single mark You might get someone who specializes in coffee with a little bit of nice wine, but it might not be amazing or the food might not be incredible. 
because it's hard I, as i found out later it's really hard to focus on lots of things and not have a singular focus um but yeah i basically just wanted to create a venue that had all of my favorite things in it and done to a really high standard so we opened up serving coffee and brunch in the daytime evenings we then focused on small sharing plates um a small but really nice quality wine list um some nice cocktails and some nice craft beer and then as we sort of progressed we realized that more and more of our reputation that we were gaining was all about us as a restaurant so there was less talk about actually i'll tell you what there was a turning point where i realized being a coffee guy i really cared like very deeply and i thought other people cared a lot more about the coffee but i remember once it was a bank holiday weekend friday night 11 p.m. We're closing the restaurant and the espresso machine broke. So we're going, yeah, and it's like the worst timing ever. So we're going into a Saturday brunch on a bank holiday with no espresso machine. And we're like packed to the rafters. We're so busy. And every table that came in, I had to say to them, I'm really, really sorry. Just to let you know, the espresso machine's broken. We can just do filter coffee. And they, not a single person walked out. And I was, I realized, oh, they don't care. <laughs> they just, they want a nice coffee, but they don't really care. They're coming here for the food. Um, and that was definitely like a moment that I walked away from and thought, okay, people aren't just coming here because we serve a nice coffee. People are coming here for other reasons, like the food or the service. And so then over the next following year or so, 18 months, every article and review that was coming out was saying bank it's a restaurant and they do sharing plates and the coffee's nice but this is what they're really <laughs> good at it was the evening side and they were talking about the cocktails and it just occurred to me like oh we're like we're trying to do everything to a really high standard but the thing that is but sort of naturally you end up having to compromise in some areas because you have to focus on so much. And so we made the decision um, at the end of 2022 that we would focus on that one menu that did sharing plates. We'd serve it all day, so lunch and dinner. Um, and then we would still serve great coffee, beer, wine, cocktails. But naturally, we would expand our wine list and become more of a restaurant and instead of being a kind of coffee shop, kind of brunch place, kind of restaurant, kind of cocktail bar, we would be a restaurant that does everything well from amazing coffee, even like really well sourced teas and hot chocolate, all the way through to the more classic restaurant offer of, you know, wine, cocktails, so on and so forth. So tell me, tell me a little bit about your menu, because I remember I had some of the sharing plates a year ago. Um, I was there with my friend Meg and we were sitting together at uh, that large table and it was uh, it was just really interesting because the, 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 the recipes and dishes are not necessarily one particular cuisine. You, yeah. you try to kind of uh, incorporate a lot of different influences. Tell me a little bit about your menu today. What, 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 what could I f find on the menu? Oh gosh, let me have to pull a menu. Oh, just... menu up. It, it changes oh. <laughs> so, because it, it changes so frequently. Um, right. I mean, kind of at the core of our, the core of our um, ethos is we try and find good, the best seasonal ingredients we can. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that means something can change quite quickly in terms of quality. But essentially everything is sort of built, built for sharing. It gets out to the middle of the table. 
and yeah you're right like we don't stick to a single type of cuisine um our head chef made a really great point when we first the sort of opening he said you look at the bar and you've got scottish whiskey you've got jamaican rum you've got um well we have british vodka um you've got spirits from all over the world and no one bats an eyelid and cocktails use flavors from all over the world and no one cares you would it would be odd to go into a cocktail bar and say oh i'm only serving french drinks mm-hmm. people would be like well, what the hell is going on like this is not a proper cocktail bar and so he said he basically takes the same approach like there's amazing cuisines and ingredients from all over the world and he just takes whatever will make the dish as good as possible rather than focusing on one set of techniques or ingredients he just likes to use all the things that taste nice rather than discounting them because they're from the like the wrong part of the world for that dish Mm -hmm. so the way that we bring it all together is we cook it all over fire um, and then serve it into the middle of the table for sharing. So it's all fire cooked sharing plates. Um, some, of, I mean, some of the dishes that we have on there, we've got a couple of like showstopper dishes, which are super popular. Um, Give us a taste. Yeah. Jack. So Jack's cooking has been described as deranged in a good way deranged uh, deranged um, oh my god he, i he, love that <laughs> he thinks about some pretty interesting pretty interesting combinations so we've got one dish which is kind of like uh like an avant-garde elevated surf and turf so it's um pork belly and octopus oh wow yeah which is really delicious um so we get the pork belly and the octopus from spain and then we serve it with like a weeping tiger salad, which is the the garnishes are all very Asian inspired. So it comes with like this spicy salad, um, something we call a Soko vinaigrette, which is um, orange. Um, oh God, I can't even remember what it is now. <laughs> Mostly because my language skills are so poor. Um, it's soy. You've been, very, you've been very eloquent so far, so don't worry about that. <laughs> it's soy, orange, and... Um, kotsubushi maybe um and it's essentially a fermented spicy citrus paste oh, and then wow. he makes a fermented cherry hoisin sauce as well wow um, yeah so really because delicious is actually based on plums right yes hoisin, the, the base ingredient is plums yeah so we use a lacto fermented cherry to make the hoisin wow um which we ferment in house as well super talented chef but yeah so we've got pork belly and octopus as one of the larger sharing plates We've got an amazing side, which is we get these delicious potatoes, rate potatoes. We cook them over fire so they get a really lovely char on the outside. And then we take, um, so we use a like a cream whipper and we create a foam of whipped cheddar and marmite. Wow. Delicious. Okay. Like very, I, very rich. I need to come back to Bristol immediately. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So when you came, you had the brunch. Um, which was delicious, but the sharing plates are way more interesting, a bit more innovative, a bit more refined. I mean, I I find this whole journey of yours so fascinating because I remember when we were standing at the coffee festival in Amsterdam together, uh, you, you had a little booth at the Roasters Village. I was also there and you were still, you know, working at Origin and then, you know, a couple of years fast forward and suddenly you're running this 
amazing restaurant that is being you know lauded by everybody um and i just think it's such a crazy crazy development i mean what would you because obviously there are lots of other people aspiring to do something like what you're doing if you were to give someone advice who is starting a restaurant or starting a coffee place with a food element to it what would you say to them this is one thing that you really should watch out for um hire great people um like when we were hiring our opening team we it was actually pretty challenging it was coming out of covid uh hospitality and chefs in particular was sort of the talent pool was pretty thin um and it was really challenging to find a chef we managed to get a brilliant opening team you know everybody who worked for us was better than i am basically in their respective fields um so he had a general manager who had you know he had a decade of has a decade of experience running all sorts of venues from um you know pubs all the way up to fine dining restaurants so very very broad set of knowledge we had some we had a brilliant bartender who knew who's probably forgotten more than i could ever know about spirits um yeah we've we just had an amazing opening team but also we were really struggling to find the chef like really struggling to the point where our first month we actually didn't have a kitchen at all um but i really held out and it was to the point where we had to open with no kitchen and i was just saying no 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 to everybody um and we held out because i just thought they weren't right for us and they weren't right for the business um and we held out we got a brilliant chef he's still with us he's actually now a co-owner in the business um so after it was about 18 months i gave him part of the business um, that's very smart because, he's... because then they can't just run away and you know start their own uh, restaurant somewhere else down the road and you're left <laughs> without a chef <laughs> i think um i think for so many chefs it's like really aspirational to own a restaurant um and it's a, it's probably an aspiration that a lot of chefs will never get to realize and so i thought i'd give him a percentage of the business um with scope to add more to it as well but it's a very simple way to a, he does more work than i do you know for creating the food and the menu um and so every bit of the restaurant success is as much his success as it is mine so i thought it'd be just fair to reward that I think you know that's a very very wise uh piece of advice because you know the hospitality sector as we all noticed during and after covid um you know people were just underpaid overworked uninspired you know treated like shit mm. um and oftentimes you know when everybody well as we all saw when hospitality was reopened and everybody was desperate for staff there was no one there because everyone yeah. said you know what screw this i'm going to start my own consulting business or I'm going to do something else and then suddenly there was no one available to fill all these vacancies and I think what you are doing is is you know is really important because it's also nice for guests you know to be able to come to a place on a regular basis and not always see different faces attending you know yeah. attending to you which is what you see in a lot of hospitality businesses is that they have such a high turnover of staff that every time you walk in there's a different waiter and you're like who are you <laughs> you know yeah i mean having a high turnover staff is um expensive as well like hiring and training people costs a lot of money so I, I was speaking to someone recently and they said oh we can just get part-time students and they're really cheap 
I was like, you must spend so long trying to train people to do a good job and then fixing their mistakes. We try and we pay we pay well, um, but because we pay well and we try and get really good balance to the team, we end up with like really good staff retention. We don't need as many people working a shift because they're all talented career hospitality people who really care. Um, it just yeah. works out so much better in every way. For sure. So I'm I'm not going to ask you, you know, what's on the cards for you this year. I Because, you know, we just heard that you're, you know, trying to, uh, or you have already, uh, you know, turn the, turn the business into more of a sort of evening restaurant. Um, mm. But I'd love to hear, I don't know, do you ever like wake up from a dream and think, oh, wow, I could be doing this in five years time? Or do you not have any kind of idea where you might end up in five, um, ten years? Five, ten years. I don't know. If you'd asked me five years ago, if you'd asked me two years ago, I definitely wouldn't say like where I am now. So I think I've probably got some, I have got some very loose plans, but essentially just want to keep growing and improving what we're currently doing. So I always said from uh, before even opening, I wouldn't even consider opening another restaurant or venue until we had got very very settled it's my first one and so i think it's really important to me to ensure that we can run it in a sustainable way um so before we even consider opening like multiple restaurants mm -hmm. because it's a lot of work to run a restaurant yeah for sure <laughs> and and yeah i think it's important to make sure that things are settled and they run sustainably And you prove that the concept works before yeah. you start going nuts and yeah, op opening 10 restaurants and then all of a sudden you can't manage. And Right, right. Take it one step at a time. You know, we, we live in such uh, strange times uh, that it's always good to just do, do one thing really, really well and then maybe move on to the next. Yeah, exactly. I still do a bit of consulting on the side, um, coffee consulting and hospitality consulting which is fun but i try i say no to a lot of the stuff just because it's a little bit too, too time time consuming um on top of running the restaurant like i said i'd rather do one thing really well than three things averagely or badly for sure, for sure. Yeah. that's a that's a great way to end dan it's been so nice to catch up and to hear you know more about your uh your story and um i want to say thank you for joining me you can of course uh visit bank if you are in bristol and uh eat the delicious food that is cooked over fire um, and drink great coffee and delicious cocktails. Where can they follow you? What's your Instagram account? Uh, so on Instagram, we're Bank Bristol. Fantastic. Yep. And what uh, days are you open? Are you open every day? We're not open every day. No, this comes back to uh, looking after the team. We take Mondays yeah. and Tuesdays off. So the whole team get two days off in a row. Fantastic. So they get a kind of weekend and then we're open Wednesday to Sunday. Wednesday to Saturday, we offer our sharing plates menu. And then Sundays, we do uh, Sunday roast. Oh, a good Sunday roast is the best thing in the world. I, I'm not yeah. sure yours is absolutely delicious. So, hey, thank you so much for being here. It was such a pleasure chatting to you. And I cannot yeah, wait to me. maybe see you in London in uh, a little bit. Thank you so much for being here. that was it for today folks thank you so much for listening to this episode of heard it on the coffee vine 
To make sure you don't miss out on any future episodes, just hit the subscribe or follow button wherever you get your podcasts. And to get in touch, you can find me on Instagram at thecoffeevine, visit our website thecoffeevine.com or send us an email to hello at thecoffeevine.com. And remember, coffee is only good when it's shared. Until next time.